And uh, thank you, Miss Julie, and all that we have been learning about stewarding life. There's one part of our life, one part of really of our body <clears throat> that the Bible talks about in a unique way as far as stewardship goes. Remember, stewarding is simply managing what we've been given by God. And uh, this is a part of our bodies that God says, to be honest, is unmanageable. Now, you'd think that that would be somewhat of a paradox, but it's actually not when you consider where the statement is made in the Bible in the context of living the Christian life and what God's trying to accomplish in these Christians that he's writing to. And by the word of God, obviously, by default, he's writing to us. So James chapter 3, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And I preached out of this passage years and years ago and uh, <clears throat> look forward to putting it in the context of stewarding life by faith. <clears throat> the Bible says in in James chapter 3 and verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which they, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth, fire, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell." Every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. How many of you, like me, has ever let your mouth get you into trouble? Let me see your hand. Anybody ever done that? How many have ever let your mouth get you into trouble? The year was 1980. I was coming down from the balcony of our church after service let out, and there was a woman in the foyer of our church that I didn't recognize. And I was a friendly little guy growing up. It wasn't difficult talking to adults. I had no problems communicating with people, and I was always, uh, I was always easy for me to talk to adults. And she looked like uh, to me that she was pregnant. And I, so I thought it would be a good way to kind of get to know her family. So I walked up to her, and this lady, very innocently, very sincerely, I said, when is your baby due? The problem was she was not pregnant, and I did not know that. Now, I would I say that to say that I remember all of that very uniquely, uh, and the details very specifically, because right after that, I remember what happened to me by my father after I said that to this lady, and she was quite offended, and I'll never forget that as well. How many of you, like me, uh, have your mouth got in trouble before? Let your mouth How many have... Has it happened more than once? Okay, so we're repeat offenders here. 
The year was 1988. I was a year out of high school. One afternoon, I came home from somewhere. My mother was being extremely inquisitive, like mothers are. And she began to ask me a lot of questions, and I completely lost my mind. And I flew off the handle at her in the kitchen. I was so quick and so sharp with my words that she never turned around, and she just started crying. And I hurt her very deeply. I remember that very vividly. I also remember vividly what happened to me when my father got home. Can I be honest? I was such a fool. In both instances, and and probably many more in between, but in both instances, I let my mouth, I let my words, I let my tongue do things that set on fire my whole body. It, It ruined perfectly good opportunities. And it is an awful thing. I was such a fool and I have been a fool. If there's one thing we all know, it's the power of words, isn't it? The Christians that James wrote to were apparently having serious problems with their mouths. James had warned them in James chapter 1 to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. In James chapter 1 verse 26, the believer who doesn't bridle his tongue is not really a religious man. We speak and act as though we are we were gladly, we were already facing Christ in judgment according to James chapter 2 and verse 12. And when you read passages like James 4, 1 and verses 11 and 12, you get the impression that this assembly had some very interesting, interesting meetings. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust that war on your members? Look down to verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. I mean, it just seems like this church, this assembly of believers had issues. And a lot of it was revolving around their tongue. The power of speech is one of the greatest powers God has ever given to us. With the tongue, man can praise God, pray and preach the word of God and even lead people to Christ who are lost. What a privilege. What a blessing. But with that same tongue, he can tell a lie. And he can ruin a man's reputation or break a person's heart wide open. The ability to speak words is the ability to influence others and accomplish tremendous tasks. And yet we take this ability for granted. Yes, it is untamable. But I promise you by the power of God and the word of God, it's at least manageable. And that's what God is teaching us. In order to be good stewards of our speech, we need to consider, I believe, three meaningful classifications that reveal the power of our tongue in Scripture. And I want you to notice them all with me this morning briefly. I want us to see, first of all, that the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to direct. Look at verses 1 through 4 of our text. The Bible says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, that's the tongue. The same as as a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Look at verse 3. Behold, we put, notice, bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very, notice, small helm whithersoever the governor listeth. Now, the tongue could be labeled, as they say, the world's smallest but largest troublemaker. Because like this illustration of the horse's bit and the rudder, the size is demonstratively smaller than the influence that it wields. You know, we used to teach our, well, used to try to teach us, hey, sticks and stones can break our bones, but words will never hurt us. That's not true. And I wish that I would have actually understood that that wasn't true. That, and, and I was, you know, 
constantly in conflict. Wait a minute, if words don't hurt, why is it so hurtful what they're saying about me? Why is this such a big problem if, 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 if it's not that big of a deal? I would rather be hit with stones and sticks rather than spoken evil of? I don't think so. Because right now I feel like I'm being hit with stones. In fact, the Bible talks about the piercings of the tongue. David talks about those that would talk about him like those that would take swords and stab at him. They do hurt. The tongue is demonstratively smaller than the influence it wields. And I want you to notice in this passage, I believe God's trying to teach us letter A, a caution with responsibility. A caution with responsibility. Both the bit and the rudder most must overcome contrary forces. The Bible speaks here about the helm that has to overcome fierce winds. And the bit has to overcome what? A very wild nature. That bit is put in the horse's mouth to subdue the nature of the beast to get the beast to do what the rider wants it to do. The bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse and the rudder must fight against the winds and the currents that would drive the ship off its course. And so the human tongue also must overcome contrary forces. We have an old nature that wants to control us and make us sin. There are circumstances around us that would make us say things we ought not to say. So the sin on the inside and the pressures on the outside are seeking to control the tongue. But who's going to control it? There's a caution with responsibility. Secondly, here at the very beginning, he talks about a caveat of authority. Now, it's very interesting to me that in verses 1 and 2, it says, be not many masters. They tell me that there must have been people in, in this, this congregation who decided that they wanted to be the one teaching. They wanted to be the one giving the word of God. They wanted to be the one that volunteered for the adult class. They wanted to be the one to be heard rather than listen. And James is warning, listen, you already have a problem with your mouth. Now what you're saying is you want to take this to another level and you think that you in your state should be able to teach and preach the word of God. Now, think about that. There's nothing wrong with influencing people with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But he cautions them because when you go to the next level of taking up the truth of God's word and you're going to stand and proclaim something, you have to be wary of what you're going to proclaim after you stop talking about this. Because the Bible says, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Do you understand that when you take on the responsibility or the position of authority as someone who is teaching anybody of any age and size the word of God, God says, now you've gone to another level. Now there's a greater judgment. It's one thing to have a responsibility of just normal life and your normal roles. But when you decide that you're going to take the word of God and teach, now there's a greater condemnation. The bit and the rudder have power to direct, which means they affect the lives of other people. Now watch. A runaway horse or a shipwreck could mean injury or death to pedestrians or passengers. The words we speak affect the lives of others. Now think about this. A judge says guilty or not guilty. And those words affect the destiny of the prisoner, of his family and of his friends. The president of the United States speaks a few words, signs some papers, and the nation all of a sudden is at war. That's influence. Even a simple yes or no from the lips of a parent can greatly affect the direction of a child's life. Now, in this context, you would say, well, pastor, nobody in here is trying to take your job. Nobody in here is saying, hey, let me preach. No, but if you're a parent, you have the authority God's given you. And if you take up this word and you decide to teach it to your children and your grandchildren, you become a teacher. You're speaking as a master. 
Listen to me, parents. What you say when you pick up this book matters. What you say when you put it down also matters. It speaks volume about what you just said. And it speaks volume about what you're willing to do in light of what it said. Does everybody hear me? We got to be very careful. Because as parents, what we say is heard. As friends, what we say is heard. As, as employees and employers, as workers, as people in a church, what we say is heard. And it affects other people in a great way. For by, Jesus said, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Listen, set a watch, O Lord, then before my lips, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to do any evil thing, to practice wicked words with, with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. David was so inclined to make sure that what his words were, were not going to affect in a wrong way, he said, put a guard there. Now, wouldn't it be awesome? If you had like a sentry, automatic sentry guns set right outside your mouth. And as soon as you uttered something foolish, dumb, or stupid, before they got out of your mouth, they were like, and they just shot them right out of there. And you're like, yeah. God, can I have an automatic spiritual machine gun to shoot down all my stupid foolishness before it comes out of my mouth? Wouldn't that be awesome? God would say, yes. Some of us would have, you know, it'd be great if they had like bars and barbed wire and all this, you know, we, sometimes we feel like we do that. And then we open our mouths and we like, we, it didn't even matter. They escaped, right? Never underestimate the guidance you give by the words you speak or do not speak. Don't underestimate it. On April 21st, 1855, a man by the name of Edward Campbell walked into a shoe store in Baston and led Dwight L. Moody to Christ. The result is one of history's greatest evangelists a man whose ministry still continues. Don't tell me the tongue has the, doesn't have the power to direct and make people to make choices, or especially the right choices. Edward Campbell knows the power of words. You see, it has the power to direct. Your words direct. Let me ask you a question. Where have your words directed? Are you directing people to Christ? Are you directing your children to Christ? Or are you directing your children away from Christ? Because even though you may pick up this word and you may be trying to teach it, what you say when you put it down also teaches and affects. The power to direct. Secondly, it has the power to destroy, unfortunately. Sadly, if you go back to our text and look down to verse 5, the Bible says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Several weeks ago, my family and I were driving back from a trip that we had taken to Glacier National Park, and as we came across the border from Oregon into Northern California, and we uh, we started driving in there, we were greeted by the charred remains of the Kenwick Fire up in Shasta. Is it the Kenwick Fire? Car fire. I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was literally like I was in a different world altogether. It was very, just gray and torched. There's several fires up there. They tell me that the, one of the largest ones was set by a woman on purpose from Palo Alto. How did it start? Oh, just a little fire, just a little spark, actually. doesn't take much. 
so that the readers of this letter would understand what they were doing to their church and to their families, James draws a picture of fire and animals. Notice what it says. It says a little fire kindled at the end of verse 5, verse 6, and the tongue is a what? And the tongue is a what? Is a fire, a world of iniquity. So was the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. And then notice, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea and tamed uh, is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly what? Poison. Full of what? Poison. Poison. Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about the nature of fires. If our tongue is likened to the fire... We just need to stop, get off the bus, and say, let's talk about fires. Fires not only start small, they grow. And they create heat and smoke that destroys homes every year. Defiles. There are people still that, 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 that there are people whose, whose homes are not necessarily totally burnt, but they're so defiled by the smoke, they can't go back. All because of a fire. Our words can defile our homes as well stains them my father was a smoker for years actually he said he picked it up when he was about 15 he quit when he was 42 by the grace of god and never picked it up again never never smoked another cigarette again but i remember i remember when my i didn't understand it at the time i remember mom we, we uh, like in the middle of nowhere mom was like okay we're getting new carpet this week so you got to get everything out the thing i'm like okay we're getting new carpet and i didn't know why next thing you know we were getting we had these the sunken living room when we had it had to be my goodness, it had to be like 11 or 12 foot ceiling in this sunken living room in our house. And we had these gorgeous, long, golden curtains on the each side of this huge bay window that looked out into our backyard. Huge bay window. I mean, it, it was probably 30 feet across. It was huge. And huge golden curtains. The only reason I remember them is because that's where I would go when I played hide and seek for my, kid, my family. I was so small I could fit like in the folds and they'd never see me. As long as they didn't see my feet, I was good to go. And I remember mom saying, we're getting all new curtains. I'm like, dude, mom's like remaking the whole house. What's up with that? Is dad okay with this? <laughs> all new curtains. And then we painted the whole house. I had no idea why. Do you know why? Smoke. It was everywhere. You know, you see people in the movies, they smoke and then they leave and they do all this kind of stuff. And they think that they get it off you. It never gets off of you. That's sometimes how words can be. They defile. Fiery words, can, fiery words can defile a home. They can defile a Sunday school class. They can defile a church, a small group. Fire burns and it hurts and it spreads and destroys everything in its path. It does not stop. Our words can start fires. The Bible says where no wood is, there is the fire there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth, ceaseth. As coals coals are to burning coals, the wood and wood to fire. So was a contentious man to kindle strife. How? By his words. Did you know that for every word in Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, 125 lives were taken in World War II? For every one word in Mein Kampf, 125 people died. That's amazing. Our own words may not have caused wars or wrecked cities, but they can break hearts and ruin reputations. It can also destroy souls by sending them to hell without Christ. It's a huge thing. The nature of fire. And God says, that's your tongue. On its own, 
That's your tongue. It is a world full of evil. It is, the Bible says, a world of iniquity. Untamed, it is a fire that will destroy. That's the nature of fire. Letter B, let's just talk about the nature of our tongue. Not only is the tongue a fire, but it's like a dangerous animal. It's restless and can't be ruled. It seeks its prey and then pounces and kills. By the way, according to the text, it's poisonous. Now, how many in here like snakes? Anybody like snakes? You just love snakes? Do you have snakes? Anybody have snakes? I'm so sorry. I, I know a good Christian psychiatrist that you can see right after church may help you with that. Just remember that Satan was a serpent in Genesis 3. That should give you a clue. I hate snakes, man. I hate them. I've read articles about people that had like snakes, you know, they have like a whole room dedicated to snakes and, and then they find them dead. And I go, well, duh, what'd you do that for? You know, by the way, no, I'm not going to say it. So I, I hate snakes. I'm scared of snakes. I still, to this very day, one of the marked memories in my mind, and it still gives me fear. It makes my chest tight. And I can, if I can just picture it, I was in fourth grade, Mrs. Moore's class, and it was uh, show and tell, and someone brought some, I think it was a gopher snake, and I don't, I, I just remember it being kind of weird in color, and uh, I'm telling you, this is a real thing, and so, <clears throat> I'm shaking, so they brought that, don't laugh, this is a real fear, it's so rude of you to be, it's just not even kind of a word, I guess haha is a word, technically, when you spell it out, but I'm hurt, deep cut right here, so they brought it out and everybody was like, ooh, and I'm like standing back here. I'm like, no, it's all good. No, it's good. And for the coaxing, for the life of me, I don't know why I did this, Dave. Everybody's like, oh, come on, it's not that big deal. Everybody was petting it. Everybody was holding it. And I was like, no, I'm getting goosebumps. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Just leave me alone. I'm good. And so finally, finally, I was like, okay, fine. I'll go over and I'll look at it. And I got over there and it, you know, it's in the aquarium thingy and it's got a cage on the top and, and it hadn't done anything the entire time. I got right over to it, and that thing went and lashed out, and bam, hit the side, and I lost it. I completely lost it. So I was like, oh, that's good. No big deal. And I got over there, and the next thing I know, I hear these words, the snake is out. Okay? I ran so fast out of that classroom. I, I, it didn't, like, come out because of me or whatever. It just somehow somebody got it, and it was like, oh, and then dropped it. And that sucker was slithering all over the place. And I just, I, my heart hurts. I have fear and trepidation to this day because of that. And, and I don't know, maybe, I don't know. It was just awful. It was absolutely awful. Now, not all snakes are poisonous. But there are some snakes that are extremely poisonous. And God's led us to believe that this, the tongue is one of them. It says, full of deadly poison. Do you notice it doesn't say a half calf of deadly poison? It doesn't say two tablespoons full. It says full. And it doesn't say just poison. It says deadly poison. Okay. Now, some animals are poisonous and apparently our tongue is. Do you know what Romans chapter three says about our, about us, especially in an unsaved, untamed realm? Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues they have used to seat. The poison of asps is under their lips. Does anybody know what an asp is? It's one of the deadliest snakes on planet Earth. And God says, that's your tongue unsaved. And guess what? 
You got saved and God didn't take that tongue out of your mouth. He gave you a new master, but he didn't give you a new tongue. Now think about that for a minute. The deceptive thing about poison is that it works secretly and slowly and then it kills. How many times has someone malicious, some malicious person injected a bit of poison into a conversation hoping it would spread and finally get to the person he or she wanted to hurt? I'm going to confess to you as a pastor, I've seen poisonous tongues do great damage. A world of damage to individuals, to families, to classes, and to char- entire churches. Now, let's be honest. We wouldn't turn hungry lions or poisonous snakes loose in our Sunday service, would we? No. But if we aren't careful, our tongues accomplish the same thing. Everybody agree with that? How many would say, I didn't realize my tongue was so hazardous? Yeah. It is. It has the power to direct tremendous influence with words. It has the power to destroy. And thirdly, and I'm done, it has the power to delight. Verses 9 through 12 are somewhat amazing and beautiful at the same time. The Bible says with our tongues, with in fact, the one full of deadly poison therewith, verse 9, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And it's almost like he's contemplating. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. And then here's the rebuke. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And then here's why. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. God's trying to help us. Do you understand? When we read verses like this that are so blunt and forceful, and when you actually consider the power behind the words that are written, that means that God really, really wants to help us. Because God really, really knows that we have a problem resting in our face. It's the tongue. My tongue was unleashed on my mother and broke her heart. My tongue has been unleashed on people and hurt very many feelings. I had some of the five best friends a guy could ever possibly have. In fact, Joe, the guy that introduced me, not, not really introduced me, but really, I guess he introduced me to bass fishing. His name was Bruce. Really good guy. Really good dude. I, I had good friends like, like Bruce and Tim and Dale and John. And because of my tongue, I killed them all. Not like you, Bob, that's had friends for so many years, your best friend you've had for decades. Not like you. My tongue's ruined them. Lost them all. I have, praise God, I have friends from college and ministry that I've had for years, but the best friends I ever had in my life, I lost because of poison, because of arrows, because of fire, because of smoke. They won't even talk to me. God's trying to help us with what we say. And to whom we say it, we cannot take what we say lightly because our words are being collected by God and they'll judge us one day. (laughs) Jesus' words. So we see in verses 9 and 10 a very strong reproof, letter A. If the tongue is inconsistent, there is something radically wrong with the heart. Do you understand that? 
The tongue does not operate independently. I heard about a professing Christian who got angry on the job and let loose with some oaths. Embarrassed, he turned, into his par- he turned to his partner and said, I don't know why I said that. It really isn't me. His friend wisely replied to him, and I quote, It had to be in you or it would not have come out of you. When Peter was out of fellowship with Christ, he uttered some oaths. But he went out and wept bitterly and confessed that his sin. What came out of Peter was what was inside of Peter. Would you agree? The tongue that blesses the Father and then turns around and curses men made in God's image is in desperate need of spiritual medicine. It's the heart. How easy is it to sing hymns during the worship service, then after service get into the family car and argue and fight all the way home? It's it's not hard, is it? It comes relatively easy to a lot of us. Why? Because that's what's in us. And he says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. It's really not a matter or a problem of the tongue, is it? It's a problem of the heart. So he gives us a sincere reminder, letter B. It says, uh, talks about a fountain here in verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place? The fountain, of course, provides the cool water that man man needs to stay alive. And in Eastern cultures, the presence of freshwater fountain was a blessing to the village because of everything a person needs was provided by that well. Everything to wash, everything to cleanse, everything to cook with, everything to drink was provided by this well. And so when he mentions the fountain, all of a sudden it's a cleansing, it's a refreshing, it's the possibility of nutrients, it's the, it's the amazing opportunity to be renewed again because of what the fountain gives. How many times have we just been longing for something fresh and, and cold and then we just get refreshed? That's the picture. The picture is, doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet, bitter, uh, sweet water and bitter? What you look for to come out of the fountain is for it to be refreshing and and nourishing and helpful. It's a great blessing. These are beautiful pictures of how much of a blessing our words can provide. Think about it for a minute. Just as words destroy, water gives life. Words give life. Water brings cleansing. Water brings refreshing. Water can bring healing. He reaches even farther, farther into their own minds and surroundings for familiarities to help. He talks about trees and vines. And when thought of can only bring thoughts of nourishment, the figs, sweetness, shade, rest. When you think about the pictures that he's giving here, can a fig tree, my brother, bear olive trees, either a vine, figs. He's talking about everything that can help. And what you expect of those things is nothing but goodness. And instead it's coming out wrong. God says, no, no, the sincere reminder is your mouth should bring forth things that help and not hurt should be a source of refreshment, not of rebuke, not of some kind of restraining order on somebody's life. Proverbs 18.4, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. There's nothing in that verse that suggests anything but blessing coming out of our face. Proverbs 13.4, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. John 6.63 Jesus said, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The sincere reminder is that our mouths can bring 
more good if we would just let it. Now, let her see then there's a servant's responsibility. James reminds us that animals can be tamed. And for that matter, fire can be tamed. When you tame an animal, you get a worker instead of a destroyer. You take a beast, you tame it, it becomes productive. When you control fire, you generate power. When you control fire, you can cook with it. You can generate a lot of different things from it. The tongue cannot be tamed, however, by man. That's the whole inference here. Man can only do so much, but the one thing that he can't do is control his face. He can't control his mouth. It cannot be tamed by man, but it can be controlled by God. So, in order to tame your tongue, there are two things that must happen. You might want to write these down. There are two things that have to happen. Number one, you've got to make sure that your heart's right. You've got to have a right heart. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If your heart's not right, you, can, you might as well wave goodbye at everything that you're going to say. And then one day you're going to meet it again in heaven because you're going to be judged by everything that you're saying. If your heart's not right, your words aren't going to be right. It's impossible. Do you understand that? What's in is going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. By the way, that's why we preached about last week, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Talks about putting the perverse lips far from thee. And, and, and I've already said all that last week. So if you're going to tame your tongue or let God tame your tongue, you're going to have to make sure that your heart is right with God and keep it right. Secondly, you have to yield your tongue every day to him. And I want to show you this. Go to Romans chapter 7, I believe. <coughs> I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. So I have to keep my heart right, and then I have to yield that member of my body to him every day. <clears throat> What's the first reason why? Because I can't tame it. How many have ever potty trained a dog? Okay. How many have ever trained a dog to like sit up, beg, roll over, do all that stuff? You train a dog? You guys are good. I can't, I can't do that stuff. I can barely potty train. <clears throat> um, it's kind of cool when you, you know, and, and you, you feed him or however you do it. Some Everybody has a different thing, but you... You teach them to do things by reward, right? You, you do all that, and you go, wow. And someone comes over, and you show them all the tricks, and you're like, you know, I always used to go over to people's house, and they'd go, sit, lay down, sit up, roll over. And they do it with hands, and they're like, the dog's just doing all this kind of stuff. And they're not giving them anything at that point. It's just for show. And you're just like, wow, did you train him to do that? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, wow, I couldn't do that. And you go home, and you tell your dog, Maggie, sit. And she goes, <laughs> sit. <laughs> no. <clears throat> And it doesn't work for you, right? It seems like some people have a better handle on this, their tongue, than others. But I think the people that do have a handle on it, it's not really their handle. They've just given their reins to their tongue to God. Really what that means is they've just given their heart to God. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 13. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 12. Romans 6, 12. Let not sin. Did I say that before? Have I said it wrong like 12 times already? Okay. 
Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Look up here. What's your, what's your tongue full of? Iniquity, sin. Okay? That's what your tongue is full of. If you let your tongue rule, it will rule. If you let sin rule in your heart, it will rule your tongue. Okay? Now watch. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 13 is, is paramount. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto what? But yield yourselves unto whom? Unto whom? Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not, here's key, that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that, obeyed from the what? From the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, Ye became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and unto holiness. Every time you read that word yield in your Bible, you should circle it and, and underline it. This is what it means. It means to place at the hand of or to present. It would be like, it would be like me coming to you and saying, okay, I'm giving this to you and you taking it and going, okay, and I'll use this. That's what you should say every day. First of all, God, is my heart right? Because if it's not right, I don't, I don't want to leave here until it's right. Now that I know my heart's right, there's no sin there. There's no guile. There's no malignity. Now what I want to do is hand you my tongue. I'm yielding my member to you. I'm letting you take this as an instrument. And I want you to use it for righteousness sake. You know, Lord, like I used to when I was in sin, when I yielded my members unto uncleanness and, 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 and to iniquity, unto iniquity, when I did that, and I did it gladly, and I did it naturally. Lord, I want to give this to you. And I want you to take my tongue. And I yield it for your glory. I want to be a wellspring today. I want to be refreshment. I want to be an encouragement. I want to build up the body of Christ. I don't want to tear it down. I want to build up my spouse. I want to build up my children. I want to build up my family. I want to build up the word of God. I want to build up faith and not fear. I want you to take this and use it as your instrument. I don't want it to be a deadly poison. I don't want it to be on fire. I want it to be a wellspring, a fountain of life. I give it to you. That's not you taming the tongue. That's God taking the reins and saying, I'll take it. You present it to me. Your body, your heart, a living sacrifice. Now it's your reasonable service. But now I'm going to prove what the will of God is. It's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, all of it as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. So, 
If you and I are going to have tongues that delight instead of destroy, then we must meet with the Lord every day and we've got to learn from him. We must get our spiritual roots deep into his word. We've got to pray and meditate and permit the spirit of God to fill our hearts with what? His love, with his truth, with his, with his compassion. The most biblical thing we've learned today is to fill our hearts with the love and grace of God so that when we speak, that's what comes out. There's a great illustration. I was going to do it, but it, it, I, I, I was having a hard time kind of comparing it. But if you take a pitcher of water and you fill up the pitcher of water, all the way to the brim and then you try to carry it around if someone hits it because it's full of water guess what comes out water whatever you put in is what's going to come out when you get jostled what comes out of you because whatever you put in is going to come out the tongue can only be tamed if the heart belongs to god heavenly father Thank you for your word and for the truth. Thank you for the power of it. God, forgive us where we have let our tongues run wild. God, of all the, all the things that have ever gotten me in so much trouble in my life, you know that the one has been my tongue. You know that I have spent more time apologizing and trying to correct and fix the wrongs because of words said. And I even care to try to even bring up God, you know, everyone. And Lord, you have been so gracious and so kind. The relationships that I've destroyed, you have filled with others. And Lord, I'm, I'm humbled at your mercy. And today, again, I'm humbled at your prodding in this verses. And it just reminds me of how careful we have to be with our hearts God all of us in here at one time or another have said things that have gotten us into serious trouble we have hurt people we have burnt bridges destroyed relationships I don't know the extent of all of it Lord there may be some in here today that are in the midst of being hypocritical with their words it may be hurting their families or marriage. I don't know. I don't know the extent of how you'd use this, but I do trust you, and I trust that you'll make application in every life and every heart. God, I, I pray. I pray that we would understand today that we don't want to be a people leave, leave, leaving here today with tamed tongues. We need to be people leaving here today with surrendered hearts hearts that belong to you, hearts that are clean and pure, hearts that are motivated by righteousness. And what we, what we desperately want, God, what we desperately want is to be right. Right with you. So Lord, I pray today during this invitation that you would do a work in our hearts. Pray that every Christian would take responsibility now of the truth. Pray that that truth would seek out the truth and the untruth within us would reconcile that today. We would let it be. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, would you just take